Hi, everybody. Thank you for welcoming us into your homes. We're in a series called Made for Mondays. Keep calm and pretend it's not Monday. Research shows that on Mondays, 50% of employees are late to work. Productivity is at its lowest, and the average person doesn't smile until almost noon, maybe because they're thinking about lunch. Why is that we all dread Monday so much? Imagine if we could turn the most dreaded day of the week into a day full of purpose and impact. You are made for so much more than just surviving your work week. You were made to thrive in it. You were made for Mondays. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and over all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Let's pray. Thank you for your word, Lord, for a wonderful creation story. How you brought into being things that were not. How you turned uh, chaos into orderliness. And thank you that you were at work in our lives, doing the same kinds of things. And you allow us to participate in your creation, in your orderliness, in your worship, in your service, in your love to the world around us. And we thank you, Lord. Amen. There's an ancient Jewish midrash, which is a commentary uh, done by the rabbis on the creation story. It says that when God created Adam, that the angels thought he was so good-looking, so uh, divine in his appearance, He looked so much like God that they mistook him for God, and they wanted to exclaim, holy, holy. So God, in seeing this, made Adam sleep and required him to sleep every day so that the angels would not mistake him for God. You see, the rabbis were just trying to explain the image of God and and thought perhaps it had something to do with his appearance. Well, theologians have discussed this forever, both Jewish and Christian theologians, what does it really mean to be made in the image of God? And I think it's helpful to think of a constellation of attributes that help define us as image bearers. We think of in, in terms of our mind, our emotions, our will. Think of it in terms of our self-awareness and our consciousness of I and you, our value of art and drama and beauty our moral compass, uh, our relational needs. Just in our text that we read, it says that let us make God a man in our image. And so we see this idea that God is, is uh, not singular, but that somehow a Trinitarian and, and in relationship. And so we do have these relational needs. And of course, our ability to love is part of the image of God. Well, whatever the Imago Dei means exactly, We know we were created to have an eternal relationship with God. Uh, The rest of creation wouldn't fit. Can you imagine having God trying to have an eternal relationship with a hippopotamus? No, he created us in his likeness so that, like him, we could have a relationship with him forever. I think N.T. Wright is helpful when he 
points out how we stand between God and the rest of creation. Uh, On the one hand, we represent God to creation in our care for and rulership of creation. And this is kind of like a kingly function. In the Old Testament, the kings were to represent God to humankind. And their rulership was to be a representative of how God wanted to rule the world and would do that through human beings, kings. And on the other hand, we present to God the worship on behalf of creation. And this is like a priestly function. Remember in the Old Testament, the priest stood between God and man and would bring the sacrifice and the praises and the worship of humankind to God. In a similar way, we as uh, his creation, his human creation, are to bring to God the worship of creation. And you think of it this way, that that followers of Jesus are really doing uh, extra duty. We are taking on the responsibility of all of creation, and much of creation refuses to worship God. But as followers of Jesus, our worship to God is really what is due him because of his wonder, his majesty, and his glory. So the creation narrative informs us about some defining characteristics of the nature of how God works. You think about it this way. Uh, God takes chaos and he brings order. God is orderly. And scripture teaches us that Satan traffics in chaos while God is orderly. He brings out of chaos order. And in the beginning, it says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Then the creation story goes on to tell us that he separated light from darkness. He ordered light from darkness. He separated water from water, water in the heavens above, water on the earth. He separated plants into their kinds. He created them in an orderly way. He took living creatures and separated them into their kinds. So our work, if it is to be like God's work, if it is to represent us as his image bearers, is to bring order from chaos. And when you think about All of our work, all of our jobs have this effect of bringing order from disorder. Think of literature, for example. Uh, Literature, great literature, is just an arranging of the chaos of words, of words which are disorderly, in some kind of orderly arrangement so that they make literature. Music is the same way. It's to take the disorder of random notes all over the place and put them into some kind of order that creates something beautiful, music. You think of construction as that way. We, we take uh, uh, disorderly building materials and we make order of them and then we put them together and, and it creates order. Think of management. All kinds of management is the same thing. We take uh, uh, people's energy and people's efforts and people's work and people's uh, uh, responsibilities and we put them together in some kind of orderly way. We call that management. And we think of teaching as well as creating order. We take the disorder of children's minds and we create order of it. Uh, You can think of your job, any job, in terms of this bringing order from chaos because this is the nature of God in that he is constantly doing this in the world today. When you think about it, we think of the fact that, that we are more like gardeners 
than park rangers in the garden. Remember the image of the Garden of Eden. And, and, and we're not much like Smokey the Bear. We're more like Martha Stewart. You know, Smokey the Bear uh, or a park ranger has, has, has very little active involvement uh, in the garden, in the forest. Uh, but rather, we're involved in planting, in ordering, in arranging. And so when our responsibility as we work as image bearers is not simply to oversee, to, to watch, to, to become uh, uninvolved, but our responsibility is to be deeply involved in creation, in our work, as we endeavor to bring out of uh, disorderliness a sense of order, a, a sense of peace, a sense of perhaps even liberation. Our work is really, when you think about it, service to creation. I think people are most content when their work has a purpose, uh, and they can see how their work is really serving others, serving the rest of creation, serving fellow human beings, and even serving the animals or serving the world around them. You see, God could have named the animals all by himself. He didn't need Adam to name the animals, but Adam found his um, joy his uh, responsibility in naming the animals as, as service to creation. You know that uh, Jesus clearly states that he came to serve. And, and uh, that, that wonderful story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet near the crucifixion time and, and telling them that, uh, that he had come to serve. And we see that this is not just a characteristic of Jesus. This is a characteristic of Creator God. Creator God is a God who serves his creation. In the same way, all of our works have this, all of our work, all of our occupations have this service aspect to them, this mandate as image bearers to serve creation. And notice as well that uh, service looks a lot like liberation. Uh, creation week looks like liberation. It looks like it's freeing the, uh, the, the chaotic world, the, the world that was out form and void into, into orderliness and to uh, purposefulness. And you think of also as resurrection as being a liberation, a liberation from uh, corruption, a liberation from, from uh, uh, the... Uh, from death into life. And so we have the garden in the Bible at the very beginning of the creation, and then we have the garden at the end of time as heaven. And we have both the gardens that we move from one garden, which is uh, creation and service, to another garden, which again is liberation and creation and service. And so we know then that all of our work is really and should be seen as a service to creation, is all, also our, our work is an act of love to creation. Uh, and, and this implies skillful, competent work, because to love creation, to love others, to love the world around us, to love our neighbor, is to really to work uh, skillfully and competently. We make ourselves useful to others because we love others. We love our neighbor. We love creation. Uh, we don't work to simply secure our identity. We talked about that last week, but we work to love our neighbor. Uh, if you didn't have to work for money, if, if something happened in your life and, and all of your financial needs were taken care of, uh, why would you work? Why would you be involved in an occupation? And I, I think that the answer to that will really help to reveal uh, why we're working, and if we're really working as service and as love and uh, as God would have us to. Well, we know as well that our work is also an act of worship. Now, 
work like any other good thing, because any, other, any good thing can become an idol and become uh, uh, falsely worshipped. Work can become worshipped, and uh, that's a problem with a lot of people. I think a lot of high-paying jobs and high-profile careers become um, something that people worship and aspire to, not, uh, not for proper reasons, not because they're image bearers, not because they want to worship God, but because they are worshipping an occupation or a job. But Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24 says this, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So we know then that our work is an act of worship to God because we are doing it as to the Lord. Well, I think satisfaction with work and satisfaction with Mondays comes when we reframe our occupations, when we reframe our work in light of the fact that we are image bearers. Uh, we bring order out of disorder. Uh, work is an act of service to creation. It, by the way, it's also an act of service to God. Work is an act of love toward creation. It's also an act of love toward God. And certainly, work is an act of worship. Well, work in the image of God. You were made for Monday. Your work reveals God's character in the world. So represent him well. Bring order out of chaos. Serve, love, worship in your place of work. Work is a gift from God. Enjoy your Mondays. Let's pray. Father, thank you for... Uh, creating us as part of your grand scheme. Thank you that you have chosen us to be in eternal relationship with you. Thank you that you have given us, given us meaningful things to do on earth as we worship you. Thank you that we can serve you, that we can love you, that we can bring order out of disorderliness in the world around us. Help us to reframe what we do for a living, not in terms of just making money, not in terms of, of trying to gain uh, some kind of self-esteem or define us, but rather as your image bearers, as people who are representing you well to the people and to all of creation. Help us, Lord. Help us to enjoy Monday. In your name we pray. Amen. I have a question of the day for you, and uh, you have a minute to contemplate this question. It's really the question that I brought up earlier in my uh, talk, if you didn't need to be paid for what you do for a living, would you still do it? Why or why not? And how might your attitude towards work need to change in order to truly reflect that you are an image bearer? Think about that. I'll come back with concluding comment in a minute or so. There's a scene in The Chariots of Fire. Um, where the Christian Olympic star, Eric Little, in his preparation for the 1924 Olympics, is confronted by his sister, who thinks he should be a missionary to China. Little responds, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Well, you know what? When we work, as image bearers, we can feel his 
pleasure. It's worship. It's reflecting the fact that we bear his image. I pray that for you. I pray that your work would be something that you do and feel his pleasure. Our doxology is from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.